Welcome to Family Room Discussions, where I open up my family room so that we can talk about the week's lessons from Come Follow Me. I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar, far from. I'm just your average Latter-day Saint seeking to grow my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures. I have found that one of the best ways to do that is by discussing Come Follow Me with others. My hope is that you'll join in the gospel dialogue by sharing what you learn with others. Without further ado, let's start this family room discussion. Sisters and brothers, family and friends, this is episode 18, following along with my presence shall go with thee, Exodus chapter 24 and chapters 31 to 34. It's a good thing that the uh, goal of my podcast is not specifically to help you do what you say you're going to do, because if that were the case, then I failed last week when I said that you'd be getting two episodes to uh, to catch up. <laughs> we're still a week behind, and ideally this week we'll catch up. Um, yeah, just life, life gets busy, you get sick, that really pushes timelines and things back, I tell ya. So, uh, yeah, it is what it is. Let's get straight into this lesson, though. There was reason to be hopeful that the children of Israel would remain true to God after he revealed his law to them, even though they had murmured and wavered in the past when Moses read the law at the foot of Mount Sinai. They made this covenant, all that the Lord hath said, will we do, and be obedient. God then called Moses onto the mountain, telling him to build a tabernacle so that I may dwell among them. But while Moses was at the top of the mountain, learning how the Israelites could have God's presence among them, the Israelites were at the bottom of the mountain, making a golden idol to worship instead. They had just promised to have no other gods, yet they turned aside quickly from God's commandments. It was a surprising turn, but we know from experience that faith and commitment can sometimes be overcome by impatience, fear, or doubt. As we seek the Lord's presence in our lives, it is encouraging to know that the Lord did not give up on ancient Israel, and He will not give up on us. For He is merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. A couple things that I really like here. Number one is the call out on kind of the symbolism here that Moses here was in the top of the mountain talking with God while the people were at the bottom and then sinning. And uh, I mean, I really love that symbolism, but we could say the same thing and compare it with us where, you know, how often do we find ourselves in the temple, in the mountains, if you will, uh, communing with God versus out and about doing worldly activities and not even necessarily bad, not not strictly sinful activities. I just mean how how much time are we devoting to being in communion with communion with God versus uh, doing worldly or sinful activities. Uh, I, I know I relate. I, I've asked myself that question a lot lately, actually, trying to figure out where is my time spent and how much am I allotting to where it needs to be spent, which is communing with God. Then I also love this part that says how we know from experience that faith and commitment can sometimes be overcome by impatience, fear, or doubt. It's been that that's been the case in my life. I don't know about you, but it has for me. Um, that's absolutely been true. That I will have these faith-filled experiences, things that I know I'm like I, I just have such a great feeling, and I feel the spirit, and, and like I said, I just know it, and then. Things don't happen in the timeline that I expect them to happen, so I start to get impatient, and I get worried, and I'm like, I question things. I'm like, did I receive the answers that I felt like I received? Did I actually talk to the Holy Ghost? I mean, was that was that actually something that occurred, or or was it not? What Did I make it all up? And so, for me, that's absolutely been something I can relate to. And then finally, 
this this line though that he will not give up on us. Uh, the scriptures, I've said this before. I'll I'll keep saying it. The scriptures will never help us if we're not applying it to our own lives. If we are just reading it and thinking, wow, that's really cool for the children of Israel that God interacted with them this way. If we are not able to learn from that and say, God will interact with us the same way, then the scriptures will not be treasures for us. And that'll be on us. That'll be kind of our own fault. It's really easy to be able to say that like good things happen to other people, but not to us. But I promise you that they will happen to you. Um, and they are happening to you, in fact. That's something that I have to keep myself in check constantly because it's really easy for me to bear testimony that good things happen to other people. And am I able to bear that same testimony that good things happen to me? And I absolutely can. They do. They happen all the time, especially the things that I'm not even aware of. Uh, but then years later, I'll look back and be like, wow, that's that was like such a small thing at the time, but has made all the difference. And um, I have lots of scenarios and situations like that that uh, I try to be really mindful of and write them down because then when I go back and read what I wrote down, I'm like, ah, oh, that's a treasure. That was a treasure, and I'm glad that I wrote it down. So what I would like to discuss is going to be, uh, this will come as no surprise to you, but it's going to be a little bit of an ADD nature, but it's going to be section two. Sin is turning away from God, but he offers a way back. I really love that section. I think that's where I got most of my thoughts. There were, I had, this was one of those readings where I just had a ton of small little thoughts, right, on, on, on little things. And I was like, oh, I want to share that. And, ooh, I want to share this and all that. And as I've been working on being that more concise, you know, person, trying to be better at sharing a more concise, organized, spiritual kind of thought rather than, a million random ones. It's still gonna. It still came out ADD, but I could at least consolidate it down to this section and this section alone. Uh, first, I want to start out by reading in uh, chapter thirty-two, verse fourteen. It says, "And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people." And this right here is a perfect example of a mistranslation. So this isn't necessarily cover the section about sin turning away from God, but he offers a way back. However, I, I do want to point out that you may already have a complete testimony that that portions of the Old Testament and New Testament were mistranslated or translated incorrectly, uh, like the Book of Mormon says, because the Book of Mormon talks about this, that that the, uh, the Bible is true, however, there are things that have been taken out, replaced, and whatnot. This is a perfect example where uh, if you have faith in God and his character, then it's easy to point out, yeah, this is obviously a mistranslation because it puts Moses in a place of power and and puts God in this kind of awkward, uncomfortable position where he's having to repent of the evil things that he was like thinking to do to his people, right? Well, we know that God's not evil, that there's not a single iota of evil within him. So that can't be true. We already know that that's a fallacy. Also, why would God be repenting He's the one that's given us the law, not the other way around. So how can how can he repent, right? Uh, and I'm just pointing it out because if you can find these examples, then it builds faith in, again, what the Book of Mormon says, which is mistranslated, but then also uh, the fact that Joseph Smith, when he went through and was, was translating the Bible, 
he was able to put things into context that we have now in, in our King James version of the Bible, where, um, you know, there's expanded thoughts. And in, in, in this verse, it's if you if you click on the footnote, I don't know if you have a I'm sure you have the gospel library and in the gospel library, you can click on that footnote and it'll actually point out the actual translation, which is lovely. So as you're going through, if there's any if there's any verses through the through the Bible that you're reading, you're like, that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's more than likely that it's a mistranslation. So look for the Joseph Smith translation. It'll really help in your study. I know it helps me anyway. Then in uh, chapter 33, verse 5, it says, For the Lord has said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. And pulling from the like the translated verse, but the goal for us should be to have God dwell with us. And it's interesting that here it's talking about like, you know, actually dwelling with them now, not in some future state of like, well, to dwell with God in heaven, but no, to have actually God come and dwell with the people on earth. And so to be worthy of his presence uh, means that we're able to enter into his kingdom, but we don't have to wait until we die to be able to do that. Uh, while while the whole becoming perfect thing, right, won't happen until after this life. But but being in a place where we're worthy to have his presence, we can be doing that right now. We should be doing that right now. And so uh, just living, living worthy to have that presence and having that faith, I think, to believe that we can actually have him to be with us is something, it's a worthwhile goal and an endeavor to be striving towards every day. And I also just, this was a thought that occurred to me, and I want to point this out, that I'll have discussions, and a lot of people will say when I'm talking about striving to be worthy of God's presence now, it's often kind of this, yeah, but, you know, we're imperfect in this life, and that's just the way it is, and yeah, we should be repenting and getting better. But, you know, to to have an expectation to actually meet God in this life is unrealistic, and I... Well, that's then, then are the scriptures all wrong? In all of these scenarios where the people actually get to meet face-to-face God, and it talks about the experience Moses has in this reading, uh, which in all, it's actually a verse that we're going to talk about in a second here, but where, well, I'll just jump to it right now so we can talk about it. It says in verse 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses face-to-face as a man speaketh unto his friend, and he turned again to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. But just that part where, I mean, it talks about speaking face-to-face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And we can become God's friend. And um, he's already a friend to us. So what are we doing to become his friends? I actually just gave a, uh, a fireside down in southern Utah. And this is the concept that I, I really wanted to hit on, which was becoming God's friend. I, I think we look at it too often where it's this impersonal relationship we have with God, that he gives us commandments and then he's there to judge us by them. And yeah, we know that he's our heavenly father, um, but but I think the reality of that doesn't set in. It's the words are really easy to say, but the reality for us that he's our, our heavenly father, but also what what are his desires? And genuinely believing his desires are to have the warmest, like, love-filled relationship with his children. That's his greatest desire. It is not 
to sit and condemn. Like that's got to be easily the least um, favorite part of being a father, being a heavenly parent, is to have to pass judgment on your children, especially those that choose to reject you, right? And we, I think we focus on that portion of the relationship of, well, if I reject God, then I'll be cast out. Okay, well, why aren't we focusing on the part where he is like, has his arms outstretched, pleading with us to come unto him, to to learn how to live in a way that we can live with him forever? And it's so funny, because the older I get, the more I realize that while, sure, the commandments can be difficult to live every single one, the, real, the commandments that you do live really do help you live in complete harmony with the world around you. Uh, one that I think gets debated a lot, especially amongst members, right, is, is the word of wisdom. Why the word of wisdom? And one that I, I, Lex and I were talking about this, that there's a complaint about caffeine, which is not written in Section 89, nor is it, to my knowledge, uh, something where there's a commandment as part of the word of wisdom where you cannot drink caffeine. Now, for full disclosure, I do not drink caffeine as a rule of thumb. It gives me headaches. But I also don't sit and judge others who do drink caffeine. I don't, I don't even think twice about it. Um, but, but there's this discussion, this argue, argument that I've at least found myself in it a few times with certain friends when we talk about this. Like, why the word of wisdom? Why is coffee or tea or whatever? It's so funny because typically in these conversations, too, it'll be like, well, I understand why you know, tobacco's in there, because we know that's bad for you, or alcohol, or, or whatnot, but I don't understand coffee, tea, and, and stuff. Lex and I were discussing this. It's not, in my opinion, the commandment is not to be these, these specifics in the sense of like, oh, it's because of the caffeine content in coffee, and that's why, because energy drinks have more caffeine, correct? So, so then it gets down to the the what the why's. To me, it boils down to just pure obedience. All the commandments, bureau, uh, they kind of boil down to pure obedience. Um, what what am I willing to to follow? What am I willing to put my faith in and believe? If I believe that God has given these commandments, am I willing to follow them? And I and I know that might be an oversimplification. However, hear me out on on kind of why I look at it that way. As I have lived, as I strive to be obedient to all the commandments, and I am, again, full disclosure, I'm not perfectly obedient to all the commandments, but as I, as I strive to be, as I strive to learn them and to follow them, I find hidden treasures of understanding for why. For instance, for me, and I don't think this necessarily will apply to everyone, but for me, uh, I do not need to wake up in the morning and have a soda or Again, I don't drink coffee or tea or anything, but I, I like there's no fix. I don't have a fix. It's like I don't have a drink. I don't need to stop by a swig or a so delicious or a, any of the drink places, right? It's like I got to get this. I have to have this in my morning. Um, I don't have any of that. Quite frankly, my problem is that I don't wake up and eat breakfast. Uh, but, but there's no kind of substance. If there's anything that I need to be breaking, if I would say I'm breaking the word of wisdom in, in any portion, it's the fact that I love, I just love fast food so much. I love eating out. I don't, I don't actually eat out all that much, but I know that my heart wishes I did every day. And it's not good. 
the word of wisdom, again, like we talked about this um, way back when we were studying the Doctrine and Covenants, but the whole point of it uh, was was to be serve as a baseline, but not the full the full extent. So why does God give us these commandments then? Well, I don't imagine that God ever needed to wake up and have coffee in the morning, or a soda, or or anything. Right? He's completely free from any vice. Um, that's not necessarily like written into the commandment. That's just kind of a hidden treasure that I've learned over time, and. It also, because of these hidden treasures, is how I've learned that I'm not, I'm not even living the full measure of the word of wisdom because I don't eat healthy. Um, I've gotten better at exercising, but I don't eat healthy. Those things are not necessarily strictly written in to the commandment, but I think those, that's the point. The point is to live a, a healthy lifestyle, to extend your life. Uh, you know, my doctor told me that I had a slightly higher cholesterol than he wants to be seen. And he said, if you just lose five pounds, that should kind of reduce that. And so to do that, he said, I need to be exercising. I need to be, you know, eating a balanced diet. That's living the word of wisdom, but it's not strictly written. And I guess that's the point, right? We could take this with any commandment, but that's the one I just kind of popped in my head. With any commandment, there are reasons for living it. And it's always to help us to come closer to God. As we as we have put our faith and we experiment on the word, even if we don't understand it fully at first, instead of having the attitude of, well, I don't understand, that's stupid. I don't want to do it because I like the way I live. Recognize that, that really the attitude we should be striving to have is, what I want to be doing is becoming like God. I am nowhere near like God in my present state. So yes, this is an insurmountable task. If you were to if you were expected to become like God tomorrow, then we would all fail. Every single one of us would fail. But that's not what he's asked us to do. He's asked us to strive each day to be a little better and come a little closer to him. And so I think it's the attitude. What I want to break this down, what I'm trying to get at is it's the attitude we carry with us. Um, it's not the, you know, our attitudes will carry on to the actuality of what we're doing. You can't like have a great attitude and then be be sinning, um, but we do. We do sin, and so I think it's keeping the attitude, of, but I'm striving to get better, and I'm not trying to fight. I'm not trying to justify, like, well, I shouldn't have to live it because I think it's stupid. One, that's a terrible argument, but two, that's not the right attitude, and God won't be able to help bring you unto him. Uh, and just on this note about being a friend to God, think of your own friends, um, with any of your friends, like your closest friends, your dearest friends, when they want to hang out, do you sit there and be like, gosh, I really don't want to see them. No, this isn't your like extended relation who's coming into town who you never see that you got nothing in common and you don't want to spend time together type of thing. This is your closest, dearest friend. Of course you want to see them. And of course you're going to make arrangements to make that a priority. And so I think we can gauge our relationship with God the same way we would look at how are we treating that relationship? How are we treating our relationship with God? He's asked us to pray to him. Do we, you know, moan about when we forget to say our prayers when we've already laid in bed? And it's like, ugh. Because when my best friend calls me and I'm already in bed, I get pumped. I'm like, sweet. Now, not, not always. Sometimes I'm like, ugh. No, but you know what I mean? It's, you're excited. You want to talk to, it's like, oh, 
oh, I got to share this this part of my day, or ooh, I, I, I didn't talk to them. And I think that's how we can be gauging our relationship. Focusing on that, I think, for me anyway, helps make keeping the commandments more enjoyable and also helps me change my attitude. And then in chapter 34, verse 2, it says, And be ready in the morning and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. Continuing on with this, with this theme, um, how do we look at our preparation in all spiritual endeavors? When we go to church, how are we taking... Uh, are we taking seriously the preparation for church attendance? Uh, or more specifically to this example about going to the temple. Do we prepare to go to the temple? Right now, for our temples, you have to, uh, you're able to go, and I believe that masks are not required, uh, but you still need to set an appointment, right? So it's a little bit easier to prepare because you have to set an appointment to go. But then do you just set the appointment and are you done? And have you even been thinking about it? Because I know temples have been closed, but have you been thinking about, oh, I do need to get back into the temple now that they're opening up or have been opening up. So looking at that preparation. In chapter 34, verse 28, it says, and he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables, the words of the covenant, the 10 commandments. And I love this parallel because I've never really thought about this, but you know, Christ is going to do this same thing prior to his ministry, the fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and talking with God. And so it's interesting that Moses himself is also doing this. And then also, so, so just pointing out, I wanted to point out that parallel, but then in addition, it does help a little bit to understand why the children of Israel got so antsy. This wasn't like he was gone for a week, he's gone for over a month. And while obviously I don't agree, but it does help to humanize the picture a little bit where their leader has gone up and says he's going to come back down. And it's like weeks start passing. And he's up in this mountain. I'm sure the thought was like, did he get eaten by an animal? Is he even alive? Is he dead? What is happening up there? Is he ever coming back? And, And as those doubts, Satan is sowing those doubts, you know, kind of the loudest voices start screaming and freaking out and going to Aaron being like, you got to help us. Like, don't you dare let us die. We already know that the children of Israel uh, have a real tough time with their doubts. And I think that we could say the same about us. In chapter 34, verse 29, uh, and it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' Moses's hands, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. He has just been in the presence of God for, again, like 40 days and 40 nights. And his face is like glowing. And I just, I, I just want to point out that as we spend as much time as possible in God's presence, as we spend time in the scriptures, as we spend, spend time praying, as we spend time in his home, both at church and in the temple, um, you, you can't spend time with God and not be changed by his presence. You, you can't. And it's why we should be striving to spend as much time in his presence as possible so that we can be changed and that our natures will change and that we will shine in the same way. Uh, I've heard people talk about others having a glow. While I've never necessarily seen it like a glow, I've definitely, uh, I've seen people who I just looked and I was like, that right there is a good person. 
I know nothing about them, but I could just tell that's a good person right there. And it's because of the way they pattern their life. So uh, maybe you maybe you see it like a glow and you you know that kind of like what what Moses must have looked like, except, you know, even more so because again, 40 days, 40 nights in the presence of God. Uh, but but yeah, just we can make our countenance the same by making him our best friend and by being a best friend to God. I think that's where the real magic happens. So I'm going to leave you with this question. God gave the Israelites, uh, well, now let me preface this first and then I'll, and then I'll say the question, but, but it, so God gave the Israelites the lesser law and they weren't ready for the higher law, obviously, uh, because again, he goes up comes back down and they're already sinning. So he has to just break that law and he goes back up and he gets what are the 10 commandments. But in our day, in our modern day, we do have the higher law. Um, We have the gospel. Christ gave the gospel during his ministry, this higher law. And so now I I guess what I want to ask is like, are we willing to live and accept the higher law in our own life? Or are we only seeking to meet the bare minimum, like I said, with the word of wisdom? Is it like, well, fine, I, I won't drink tea and coffee and I won't smoke tobacco, but but I'm that's it. Like, I'm done, right? Like, I've, I've met my threshold. Or are we looking at it that it's like, I will do whatever it takes to align my life with God. And I know it's going to be hard and it's going to force me to change and there's going to be some really uncomfortable things that I'm going to have to go through. Um, if we look at it like that, then, you know, we can really believe the scriptures when they say that aligning our will with God's and keeping his commandments, like we will be able to enter his presence. That's that's all that the scriptures continue to point to is that as we live his law, as we keep his commandments, and as we strive to know him and to serve him, then we will enter his presence. And so my question is, are we willing to accept the higher law and live it? Uh, but again, I apologize for being late on this, but thank you for joining my family room discussion. And until we meet again, have a blessed week.